One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the show that uses the way songs become indelibly connected to our life stories to get to know our guests. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this week is Eric Otto. Dr. Eric Otto is Professor of Environmental Humanities, Director of General Education, and Interim Chair of the Department of Integrated Studies at Florida Gulf Coast University. After graduating from FGCU in 2000, Eric earned his Ph.D. from University of Florida and now lives in Naples with his wife, Tricia and their daughter Beatrice. He plays guitar for the Immokalee Road Band with his FGCU colleagues Miles Mancini and Mike Kennedy. And since 2019, he's also been the guitarist for the Gulf Coast Big Band, which raises scholarship money to support jazz education in Southwest Florida. Eric comes our way via episode 159 guest Mike Kennedy. Hey there, Eric. How are you? Good. How are you, Mike? I'm doing well. Hello, fellow humanite. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Typo. I read emails about 20 times before I send them, and then, uh, you know, I miss that. I wouldn't even have noticed it had you not pointed it out. So we'll get to environmental humanities a little later. But um, what's your first memory of FGCU? You graduated early, so when you got here, it would have been really early, I guess. Lots of open space. A lot of these developments, all of them weren't around. Um, I remember seeing a panther driving into campus uh, off of Ben Hill Griffin. Um, we had, uh, a lot of, uh, mobile offices and, um, maybe not classrooms so much, but, uh, and just, the, and I think we've preserved a lot of this, uh, since 97 is the, the, the attention that you get from the faculty. Um, of course we only had 1200 students back then. What um, year did you graduate exactly? I graduated in 2000. 2000. Did mm-hmm. you finish your degree here or did you do your whole degree here? I... Got an AA from Edison. Okay. I was just trying to figure out. There was only three years, so I was, you know. Okay. Enough about FGCU. Uh, Where did you grow up? And uh, describe the musical background of your childhood. Yeah, I grew up in St. Petersburg, Florida. Um, When I think of my musical background, um, I kind of took through my dad, my mom, and my, um, I'm one of six kids, uh, but my older siblings especially. So my dad, you know, he would have been listening to a lot of the 50s and 60s oldies stations. Um, my mom was maybe more contemporary, top 40, Dionne Warwick, uh, mm. Bette Midler, that type of stuff, Willie Nelson. Um, my sister was in high school in the mid-80s, so... Madonna. Madonna, Duran Duran, NXS. Mm. Um, I like one of those. <laughs> uh, uh, Tears for Fears. Okay. You know, so she was doing that kind of stuff. And then my, my older brother's three years older... Um, he would have been bringing in some of the heavier stuff, suicidal tendencies, um, butthole surfer, you know, the punk type stuff. Um, but also I got a lot of like, uh, my interest in the cure and some of the, you know, ACDC and things like that through him. Um, so yeah, that's the stuff that I would have been hearing, whether it be driving in the car with which, whichever parent or hanging out with my brother or hearing what my sister was bringing home with her friends. What was the first music that you found yourself or you felt like you found yourself? Uh, probably later on with blues and jazz. Yeah? Yeah. Um, because a lot of my earlier musical influence was from my older brother. And just kind of influence in life in general. Interest in fishing, interest in things like that. Hobbies. 
Um, but it wasn't until I was about 16 or 17, 18 maybe, that I really got into blues. And then I think there's a kind of a natural progression as a musician to go from blues to jazz uh, because there's a lot of cross influence there. Hmm. Um, early musical memory, like if you try to dig way back, is there something that pops mm -hmm. up? Uh, my my memories are sort of spatially triggered. Okay. So um, I think between the ages of nine and nineteen, I lived in about nine different houses mm -hmm. or even even hotels for a little bit there wow. with my family moving around. Um, sort of the southern tip of uh, Pinellas Point in St. Petersburg. So if I think of the first house that I remember, um, I. I can see my older brother Joey and I standing on the back or in the bed of my dad's uh, late seventies, early eighties Ford two tone brown Ford pickup truck. I can see it. <laughs> yep, you, you see you see that truck, right? Yeah, I do. Um, and it, it it was a hot summer day, and we sprayed the hose on the driveway, and the steam would come up. And we put on ACDC, and he would always get to be Angus, and then I would be um, Bon Scott or Brian. You know, and I would, the, and the, the, the steam was for the, the stage effect. Yep, yep. <laughs> and so we would put on our little concert up on stage. Um, and then I, you know, I can, so that's outside. If I, if I go inside the house, I see my sister and brother urging me to call Q105 to vote for Michael Jackson's Beat It for their top five at nine which of course probably won the top five or the top for many weeks in a row. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, I put myself in that house and that space and I can think of some of the memories that, that come up. Are you familiar with the term memory palace? No, but it sounds We'll talk after the show. Okay. Listeners, Google. It's mm -hmm. fascinating. Nice. Um, first music you saw performed live that wasn't maybe like if you went to church or if you went, went to the mall to see a mm -hmm. choir or something like that. Yeah, you know what I, so this probably fits into that category, but I remember in high school, a talent show, and these, these kids get up on stage and they play Enter Sandman by Metallica. Wow. And I was blown away um, because of how spot on they were with the guitar solo, with the bass, the drums, everything. It sounded so good. But um, I think the first like real live music, I was, I had a country phase early, or early in high school um, and my mom took me to see Alan Jackson. Wow. So I think that was probably my first concert experience. Huh. Yeah. Right straight from Alan Jackson to old old blues music. Uh, it, you know, it it, well, there's probably some sort of a thread there. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, Brent Mason is a great guitar player in Nashville who's on probably 15,000 country records. Um, just a phenomenal player. And so, you know, the, the guitar connection there because I'm a guitar player. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was an exploratory phase in high school, like we all go through, and um, you know, not so much there anymore. I don't think I ever explored country. Mm -hmm. but that's okay. We uh -huh. all have our things. Um, first music you owned? Do you have a memory of that? Uh, Whether it was a gift or you had some allowance money, or maybe it wasn't until later. Yeah, my my older brother asked me to go get um, walk this way from this music store with at the mall or something. And of course he was referring to the Run DMC Aerosmith collaboration. I came home with the Aerosmith tape walk this way. What's this? You know? Um, so I think that was probably <laughs> the first w music that I remember buying. Um, I wonder if the people at the record store were like, 
I think those kids get the wrong tape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they should have known. Where was their awareness? Oh, um, you're a musician. Uh, were there instruments being played around you? Was that part of why you wound up as a musician, or what's the sort of origin story? We had an upright piano in the house. Um, m- my mom played a little bit. Um, there was one song, I can't think of the name, but she would sit down and just jam out on this particular tune really well. Um, my younger brother, Casey, who's a, uh, a few years younger than me, he was sort of in the second wave of three that my parents had. I was the last of the first wave of kids, and then he was the first of the second wave. Um, he he picked up the piano pretty early on and was always um, tickling the keys in the house. Um, other than that, no. Um, no, I... I wanted to, I did guitar lessons briefly in sixth grade. Um, my mom bought me this really nice classical Alvarez guitar, and I uh, went, she got me lessons. I went to do um, my lesson, and I sit down, and the first thing the teacher does is flip my guitar over. You're holding it the wrong way. Okay. Felt kind of weird. How but, long had you been holding it the wrong way? Uh, yeah, for a while. <laughs> um, so I get home and I'm practicing and then I go back the next week and he flips it over again. It turns out I'm a left-handed guitar player and it's just holding it right-handed. Gotcha. So he was flipping it back to right, mm-hmm. but you are left-handed. Did they not ask? <laughs> Seems like that's something that they might have asked. It's, I, you know, uh, um, Guitar players are often discouraged if they're left-handed yeah, yeah. from learning left-handed. Yeah. Um, just because I think it has to, I don't know. I don't know why. Um, certainly back then, the availability of left-handed guitars. Um, nowadays, it seems like every major company has at least two or three of their, their key models um, that they make left-handed. I'm um, a recent um, string player and I'm a lefty so uh, I have a bass guitar and a uh, electric guitar my grandpa tried so hard to get me a left-handed bass that that uh he f- managed to find like the last one at like guitar center right before Christmas and uh, he just like made the deal and, and my my electric guitar is right-handed so uh, it's it's weird going between you know shifting between both things you know mm-hmm. yeah yep. it's tough. How long between that? Do you still play left-handed today? I guess is the question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so how long between that incorrectly oriented guitar and your first actual left-handed guitar? Was there a break? It sounds like maybe you didn't stick with it. No, I gave it up after after two or three weeks. How long until um, you then picked up a guitar it, and got the right size? Yeah, size no. size. size, size the orientation, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, I always regretted not sticking with it. And as I got older, I'm like, you know, uh, this time is going by. You have to start when you're two years old to be any good at anything, you know, at, at an instrument. Um, but then when I was 16, I picked it up again. Okay. Um, a family friend of ours uh, had an old guitar laying around. He restrung it left-handed for me. It was bowed the neck, you know, had about one inch action, you know, off the, the strings off the fretboard at the 12th fret. Best kind um, to learn on. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, I was, I was, so 10 years, you know, not, I guess five or six years gotcha. went by before. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's get to your first song. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the Violent Femme song? Yes, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, this one takes me back to uh, my, my, very short-lived but impactful skateboarding days in in the I guess mid '80s, and so I'll give it a listen, and then we'll see what see what it does here. 
uh, short-lived and impactful is like a short story in five words oh, or however many words that is. Yeah. <laughs> All right, this is Eric Otto's first song today on Three Song Stories. This is Kiss Off by the Violent Femmes from their 1983 self-titled album. I once read that scent is the primary instigator of involuntary memory, and I think this song is sort of the sonic uh, version of that for me. Hmm. So, um, you know, I I can see. I remember my um, my brother and some friends and I. So we're now we're um, now we're talking the the third house I moved. This is on the the east side of Pinellas Point and in, in St. Petersburg on Seventieth Avenue South, I believe it was. Um, and my brother, my older brother and a, and a, and some friends were, we gathered up some plywood and whatnot from the garage, you know, probably had some dried up cement on it or whatever. And we're going to build a launch ramp. So we basically are, uh, nailing together some boards and, and old wood. And my dad comes out, he's like, what are you guys doing? I'm like, we're building a ramp for skateboarding. He's like, that's not a ramp. Come on. So he took us to the hardware store. We get two, two or three sheets of plywood and whatnot. And. He builds us this uh, four foot. It was basically a quarter pipe, you know. Um, and uh, it, it. Uh, I think I sent you a picture of that ramp, actually, which was a great find in the in the box of photos that my parents have left over from our childhood. Um, it became almost like a legendary ramp in St. Petersburg, in my own head, at least. Um, <laughs> but we would, on Saturdays, we would have skate jams. People from all over the, the neighborhood would show up, people that we didn't even know. There were some folks who were kind of like pro amateur skaters who would do like, we would see them doing photography tricks on the ramp and so forth. And then years later, and it could have been two years, the way time is when you think about time, it could have been two or three years later, my brother's like, hey, um, that we our ramp, someone has our ramp in the back of the public. We're going to go get it back. We're going to take it back. <laughs> so apparently, this ramp had somehow survived through our moves and everything. We someone I don't know how you transport a skateboard ramp that's that big, but someone had. So it was four foot. How many? How wide was it? It, like, it was the full like four by eight. Four by plywood. eight. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And um, and what about this song? Yeah. So it's just um, this. This is the this is the song in sort of the. Um, the the feeling that takes me back to that that time. I mean, this is definitely something that we would have been listening to this tape over and over yeah, and all yeah, these yeah. songs. Um, another one would have been uh, like Metallica. You know, that would have been something we were shuffling through as well. Well, I guess you didn't shuffle back then. <laughs> Flipping the tapes on. When was the last time you were on a skateboard? Uh, actually, I picked it up again when I was in my late twenties, early thirties. Um, it was actually it was my second year working at FGCU. Um, and I twisted my ankle. I started my second year on crutches, <laughs> and then I hurt my back playing hockey. Uh, and I'm like, I'm getting, you know, 31. I'm like, I, I, this is not, you know. I had a, a little daughter to raise and uh, work and everything. So, but it's still something like, I don't know, if I could, if I could have have a ramp in my house or something and just kind of do it on my own. I think I would. I What's would stopping it. you? <laughs> yeah. oh. <laughs> the the pain, the falling down. Oh, I know, down. I know. Yeah. Much like country music, uh, skateboarding is something that I also never dipped into. <laughs> yeah. I had friends that they did. It was a whole cultural thing back oh, then. Oh no! But, all, yeah. all my coolest friends were the skaters. Mm-hmm. So you know, in retrospect, especially. Yeah. Um, so in high school, then where did you fit into the scene? Were you the Were you the skater kid, or like where were you? I. So I went to a small 
private school in kind of like North St. Petersburg from kindergarten through eighth grade. And then I went to my zoned high school in uh, ninth through 11th grade. Um, so other than my knowing my brother, his girlfriend, who were both two years ahead of me, um, and maybe some kids that I played soccer with in the local soccer league, I didn't know anyone in high school. Um, so I sort of retreated into lonerhood. You mm. know, I had really bad, uh, like, cystic acne also. Mm. So all those things, it's like I really turned inward. Um, I learned that, you know, some people can be real holes, you know. <laughs> and also some people can have huge hearts, you know, that you, that you wouldn't even know come out of the woodworks, you know. So I have a memory of, um, not tied to music, but it was after <laughs> P.E. And then there was this kid who just had me like pinned up against the wall looking at my face saying, oh, my gosh, have you ever even had a girlfriend before? What do you, you know, this and that. And I just sort of turned inward. And then um, the the next class period, this kid comes up to me and is like, hey, Eric, don't, you know, don't worry about what that kid was saying. It's not a big deal. You know, it's like this kid I didn't even know. Mm. You know? So, um, so yeah, I, I, I just sort of... Um, you know, I had lots of siblings, like I said. I had a great, great parents um, who offered a lot of support, and um, I just found found my joy in them and, and the hobbies that I had. You said you picked the guitar back up about when you were 16. Mm-hmm. Was that something that, that you would have, that people at school would have known, or was that completely a bedroom thing at that point? It was definitely a bedroom thing, yeah. <laughs> And, you know, it, it might have been a way to accompany myself, you know, just to find something that, that I could focus on during uh, what was pretty tough, tough um, kind of bullying types of situations. So. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you went to, how'd you wind up here? So you came <laughs> down to Fort Myers for Edison? I Is so that what you said before. Um, well, I I had I end I ended up in Naples with my family. So um, my dad had been working. My dad um, for years since the late seventies has always owned drywall companies, mm. and so he he um, he did a lot of work, obviously in Pinellas County and in the surrounding areas. Um, but then I think it was the early early nineties. Um, he was coming down to Naples to work with a company. So he was he was actually. Uh, you know, going back and forth on the weekends to come back home to the family in St. Pete. Um, so we eventually moved down to Naples so that, you know, he, uh, so we could all be together. And then he gets a job up in Sarasota, so he's commuting again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's all good. Um, so, yeah, I we, we ended up uh, down in Naples my senior year of high school. And by then I was, like, fully into guitar playing. You know, I mean, that was my identity, um, just practicing Probably eight hours a day for years. Was it a steel string guitar or was it like a nylon string guitar? Yeah, it was a steel string acoustic. Um, and eventually I got an electric guitar pretty soon after. What did you start on? Like what kinds of songs were the songs that you were, you know, learning the chords to? Yeah. Um, I When I started, it was uh, – there was a series of books, progressive rhythm guitar, progressive finger-picking guitar – and so pro- progressive lead guitar. So I'd work myself through those books, no particular songs, um, although they would always have sort of a likeness to, you know, a, a Kansas song or something like that with the finger picking. Um, so, you know, I was learning more technique and scales and chords and things like that. Um, I actually started, picked up guitar, uh, you know, I, like I said, in sixth grade, I started quit after two weeks. I picked it up because um, I was into fishing 
shows. I would watch fishing shows on TV. <laughs> this is such weird stuff, um, the way all these things come together. <laughs> Watching fishing shows and imagining that one day I would be able to go fishing, bring my guitar, sit around a campfire afterwards and strum some chords. You know, that would be kind of cool. At the same time, Jared will like this, I was playing F-Zero on, on, a, on the second... What was the second Nintendo? Super Nintendo. Super Nintendo. Yeah. And you remember those heavy, like, you know, it's like you're driving 4,000 miles an hour on the mm-hmm. F-Zero course, and it's like just heavy. And so I had I this- I love we- the F-Zero soundtrack. Oh, <laughs> Big Blue is on a whole nother level. <laughs> and the guitar solos and stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Have you, by any chance, have you played uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe? Oh, yeah. With yeah. my daughter all the time. Yeah, Big Blue and Mute City, mm-hmm. is those tracks are in the game, and the, the new renditions are amazing. That's oh. awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this weird combination of like wanting to play acoustic, strum, strum an acoustic around a campfire, but also jam out on like, you know, heavy metal type tunes. And so I'm like, well, I got to start learning this, this instrument, you know? And so there's so much you can do with a guitar. Did you wind up in any bands or doing any collaborative playing at that point in your life? Or was it, that never did come out early on? No, not early on. Um, I, my first, um, let's see. I I remember going to a um like a coffee shop jam session once my I think I was probably only playing guitar for uh a year like an open time. mic like kind an of open thing? mic yeah um at my it was in Tampa and my my brother Joey older brother and his <laughs> girlfriend you know said you know there but there's an open mic at this coffee shop or bar or whatever in Tampa I would have been 8 17 or 18 playing guitar for a year year and a half I'm like okay I'll, I'll go and see uh, scope it out check out the vibe as they say um, <laughs> uh, um, and so I get there and there's a guy just up there singing along and I'm like okay you know I think I could just play some lead lines behind the Led Zeppelin tunes he was singing or whatever so he takes a little break and I go outside and catch up I'm like hey do you mind if I sit in and just play along with what you're doing and he's like, sure. So he's singing and um, playing some leads behind him. And then he uh, he leaves. He's done. And I had the bug. I'm like, oh, I'm feeling good up here. Like, I'm not nervous. Mm. Uh, amazingly so. Um, so I'm like, okay, one of the tunes I'm learning from my progressive finger style book is Scott Joplin's The Entertainer. So I, wow, that seems like that's got a lot of parts. Yeah, definitely. It's a great <laughs> finger picking song. It's not, you know, if you learn, um, it's not too complicated if you with the arrangement that I that I learned. So I break into the song and I get to the bridge and my mind goes completely blank. Like, okay, um, I just strummed off a closing chord. Probably not even the the. The, yeah, the, totally the, wrong key. Yeah, wrong it's key, like, you know, it's, it's in C. I probably ended on a G7, you know, left every, they're, they're, they're all still out there waiting for me they to resolve that. They all thought it was performance art. They was like, <laughs> that was brilliant. It, well, hopefully that's the case because I just stood up and like hung my head low, went and sat back down hmm. with my brother and his girlfriend, just kind of like, okay, well, I did it. Um, and then, you know, so after that, it was sort of seeking out um, if there's any sort of jam sessions and um I I did end up eventually uh, doing some blues jams at uh, some like a there was a, a a bar in in Naples Park called Club Saigon. It was called Shredos, and when I went there, but the band the Cat Daddies, was like legendary blues band in Southwest Florida for a long time, uh, they had a Sunday night uh, blues jam that I eventually got the courage to 
to jam out on. So I, I learned a lot from those guys and, and the uh, the teacher that I, that I had at the time. Denny Scott at Naples Park Music, he's still there with his store. And then a guy named Bobby Gaines who had uh, a bit of a lineage with like the Marshall Tucker Band and stuff. They were down here for a while, or he was and was one of my teachers. So he, hmm. he would encourage me to, you know, go go cut your teeth on, on this stuff. You got to get out there and play. You ever come across the, the open mic at the, the Liquid Cafe in North Fort Myers, 2002, 2003? We had a Liquid, K in, Liquid Cafe in downtown Fort Myers, and we opened up like a satellite place in like North Naples, and we had a Tuesday night open mic that was just crazy, mm. rocking. Yeah, I was, I, was, up in, I was up in Gainesville in graduate school at the time where I did. Okay, do, that was graduate mm-hmm, school time. Mm-hmm. Um, musical memories associated with FGCU of your time here? Anything pop into your head? I had a lot of my professors who would come out and see the band I was in, Big Buck and the Biscuit Boys. Big so, Buck and the Biscuit Boys, yeah. illiterate. Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> you know, the um, the result of me doing these jam sessions down in, in uh, at uh, Club Saigon with the Cat Daddies was that uh, Big Buck came in one night and he's, so this would have been spring of 95. Um, he comes in and he's and he's looking for a band because he has Jay Giles and Magic Dick coming down to the Florida Sports Park during their Blues Time tour. Jay Giles. Yep. Wow. Um, and then later in the summer, um, Kim Simmons and Savoy Brown, he had come down because he was a bit of a concert promoter. Big Buck was, or Guy LaForge. Um, so That's we, just as good as Big yeah, Buck. Yeah, <laughs> sure. We, well, we created um, the band. My my younger brother, Casey, plays, uh, played uh, piano in it. Um it was Guy LaForge and the Blues DeVille. Fender made an amp called the Blues DeVille at the time and uh, the Blues Deluxe also. And so we were looking for a name. That sounded kind of cool. Big uh, Guy was into cars and whatnot. So we created this band, Big Big Buck and the Biscuit Boys um, was the name eventually. Um, I think because uh, there was one gig, Buck comes up on stage and he says, hey, I'm Big Buck and I don't give a and then so it becomes uh, uh, the name of the band. And there was one night when people were throwing biscuits at us up there. And it was a good Was this time. a place that served biscuits or did they bring no. the biscuits? Club Saigon actually <laughs> served amazing Thai food. Oh. Yes. So they're like Thai biscuits. These they're, aren't like these, southern buttermilk biscuits. No, these were biscuits that somebody actually made at home and brought them for so the purpose. Somebody... <laughs> Of throwing biscuits at the van. Yeah. I'm glad they weren't tomatoes, but uh, we were pretty good. And Big Buck, he's still playing. He's still around in, the, really? in, in Southwest Florida doing his oh. thing. Yeah, he's a great entertainer, harmonica player. Huh. Yeah. And so some some people, your professors would come see you, like professors that I would know? Uh, let's see. Uh, well, you know, uh, Glenn Whitehouse. Yeah. You know? I was going to say there were only like 14 mm. of them. Um, J- uh, Jim Walpart. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Brad, uh, he was in economics. Brad Hobbs. Don't, didn't know Brad, but mm-hmm. I knew Glenn real well mm-hmm. and, uh, and Jim pretty well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it was always fun to see them show up. And, you know, again, it's part of the community that we have here at FGCU, and it still still exists. I mean, I play with Miles Mancini and Mike Kennedy in the Immokalee Road Band, and we have our colleagues show up, our students show up, and, you know, we just keep keep the tradition going on. There's a lot more built around us now, yeah. though. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's do your second song. Yeah, so um, the, I, you know, I'm going back to uh, sitting in with the cat daddies um, in the, the, I guess it would have been the mid-90s. 
Um, they had a blues, staple blues man from uh, the Tampa Bay area, James Peterson, come down and uh, do a gig at, at this club or this bar, Club Saigon. Um, and I was like, just, he blew me away. Like this is, um, this is what the blues was all about. James Peterson, I think he grew up in Buffalo. His dad owned like a juke joint in Buffalo that hosted all the, all the blues guys that you hear about when you hear about the blues from Mm -hmm. the fifties and sixties. Um, so he was down here. He's James Peterson is actually the father of Lucky Peterson, who was, a passed away a few years ago, but internationally renowned, you know, uh, prodigy uh organ player and guitar player go on youtube and look at lucky peterson playing in paris he's just uh brilliant and you know james was his dad and um so i'm so the cat daddies are backing up james peterson and i'm like i would love to be able to be in that position where i could be the uh, playing in the background behind you know having a band that's supporting james peterson so it turns out that after we're in big buck and the biscuit boys but gets James Peterson to come down, and we're going to be the backing band mm. behind James. So I'm like, okay, well, I better listen to everything James Peterson has ever uh, done and write up these tunes because he's going to be calling his songs. And if we, if the band doesn't know them, so I had a notebook and I transcribed everything, you know, all of wow. his songs. Um, and he comes to to play, and uh, you know, he calls out mostly. Um, Mostly straight ahead blues stuff, twelve bar blues things that because he he knows. I mean, he's playing with um, different bands all the time, so he can't call his stuff that's maybe a little more complicated. So it ended up where all my work was sort of right <laughs> pointless. Yeah, um, well, you know, there's a benefit to every effort. Yeah. <laughs> so that so this song, um, it's so good. I think that's what it's called. Um, this was a this is a tune. It's basically two chords, and as a guitar player, this is something that you can just put on and jam along with you know um and it's uh it's a song that i think we would have ended up doing because of it's you know it's a it's a pretty straight ahead funky one of the songs song. says at welcome all you fellow yep, musicians yep. you know let's do it yeah definitely all right it. it is called it's so good by james peterson from his album don't let the devil ride it's eric out a second song on this week's episode of three song stories it's biography through music Mockley Road Band do that? No, but I think we should. That would be really fun. I can't yeah. imagine. I can't believe you don't. Yeah, I, I um, I, I was able to sit in with James Peterson a couple times over his, you know, his um, at, you know, after the after the uh, Club Saigon gig, um, and then my wife and I had him down to play at our wedding. So wow, you know, super cool. Yep. Um, if you were, if the if the Immokalee Road Band was doing that song, what part would you be playing? Would you be playing that lead? Would you be the rhythm guy? Like, de- de- describe where you fit into the band. Um, I would I would play the rhythm and the lead, gotcha. but that rhythm part is so cool. You know, and that, <laughs> that bass is. Oh yeah, well, that's first thing Jared said. I don't know if you could hear it, but Jared was like, "That bass, yeah, awesome." <laughs> um, and those are studio guys, you know, studio musicians yeah. in there. But um, yeah, I mean, playing, holding down that 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 cool rhythm in the guitar, but then probably taking a, a guitar solo in there as well. Hmm. Mm-hmm. What kind of guitar do you have, or guitars? Oh, what are I, your primary? Yeah, my primary is a Gibson ES three thirty five. Um, I recently picked up a Gibson um, Les Paul Special, uh, which I, uh, I it's a great guitar P90 pickups. It's got a great tone, 
there's a guy who's always at the gigs um, that we that the, that the IRB does, and he gets mad at me when I don't play the 335. <laughs> he tells me like, you need to bring that three. That's your tone, you know. I'm like, yeah, you know. The thing is though, I play in a big band, and I string up to 335 with really heavy strings. So um, oh, I see. you know, if I'm going to do sort of a blues solo where I'm bending, especially like the G string, but it's a wound 28 gauge G string, it's a little more difficult. But I'm going to give it a shot next time. Make this guy happy. <laughs> um, do you sing? No. I, I was no. suspecting that. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, backing um, vocals. No, ba- I, I, um, sometimes mm. I'll sing in my car. Do you hum to yourself in hum your head hum. while you're playing? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's uh, it's pretty common with guitar players, especially in jazz, to sort of bop along with the, you know, just to try to mm. connect the the brain with the fingers. Um, sometimes I'll find myself doing that, but no, it's not anything that. How did you guys first get together? And has it always been the same guys? With the IRB? Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, Miles, I I had heard about Miles Mancini when we were both students here um, through Maria Rocca, but we never connected um, for whatever reason. But when I came back, because uh, now we both work here, when I came back, I was hired in 2007, and uh, Miles and I would always, hey, we need to get together and jam and do some blues or whatever. So... Uh, Mike Kennedy eventually came into the picture, and we became the Immokalee Road Blues Band, which got me really excited. But now we only do like three blues songs. Guys, come on. <laughs> if <laughs> you're fun. listening. Yeah, and that's right. And we know you we are. Know, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Mancini always throws in these uh, really contemporary type I tunes. I know. I've his, learned that from yeah, him. <laughs> that his um, kids are listening to and whatnot. So I'm like, yeah, whatever. Bring the chart. I'll play it. You know. But um, Do you write songs? No. No. Mm-mm. No desire to? No. I, I mean, if you don't sing, it's a different kind of vibe. Yeah. Vibe again. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, where do you guys play? Where? Yeah. Uh, the, we have a monthly gig at Riptide Brewery in Bonita. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, our, our next uh, gig is, uh, the, what's next Saturday, the 19th? Um, so, yeah, February 19th, Riptide. I think there's like a beer fest going on that day or something, so they're pushing up, pushing us back to uh, eight o'clock. Usually mm-hmm. we play at six, so it's gonna be a late night. Sounds festive. Mm-hmm. But those early jams I used to do were like ten to one. Right. You know, it was a big, the big buck gigs back in the '90s at Club Saigon were ten to one, and they would say encore, encore. So we'd end up not being home till two o'clock in the morning. That's a great sentence, just the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the big band, yeah, Gulf Coast Big Band. Tell us about it. Oh, it's such a great group. Um, Gulf Coast Big Band was under the lead, the direction of the late Dan Miller. I was going to ask you about Dan. Yeah, and so we're actually playing a tribute concert this this Saturday uh, or Sunday um, for Dan. Going to bring in, a, I think they're going to bring in a lot of you know his fellow musicians from all over the country. He was just a great. Uh, jazz educator, a great voice for jazz, and a great advocate for jazz education among youth, you know, trying to keep the art form alive. A great storyteller. Um, every song that that he would, uh, you know, bring to the band, he would have some sort of story behind it. Um, it really connects you with the music. But anyway, so I, I, once I started to really get into improving my jazz chops, I found a local jazz jam at this bass player's house um, on Facebook. Uh, this would have been a little bit before COVID. Um, and so I started going to that 
and eventually they said, "Hey, we play in this, you know, this community uh, big band raises scholarship money for local kids and whatnot to to buy instruments or to help them with music lessons. You want to play?" And I'm like, "Yes, sign me up." <laughs> and how many people are in it? Like maybe twenty people. Yeah, it's like a that. full full, you know. Uh, saxophones, yeah. trombones, trumpets, drummer, piano player, and then guitar um, with me in there. Uh, so my at, at the same time that I, that they asked me to be in the band, my my daughter had auditioned for Dan's uh, youth um, Naples Philharmonic Youth Jazz Orchestra, so she had gotten into that. She's a drummer. Uh, she's a drummer, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so we were both at the same time, kind of recruited into. Uh, well, recruited makes me sound like I'm a little too special than I really am. <laughs> they didn't have a guitar player in the case of Gulf Coast Big Band, so they they uh, they asked me to play. Um, and it's been a great learning experience, you know, especially under Dan. I mean, it was uh, he could kind of cut you but build you up at the same time, and it just made you feel so good. And if he if if you took a solo and he's like, yeah, man, it's like wow, <laughs> that's the real deal. Saying saying that I did half a good job, you know. Hmm. Uh, do you concur that jazz plus jazz equals jazz? I don't know what that means. Okay, never mind. It's, oh. it's, it's a, a 30 Rock, I think, or Parks and Rec, one of those two. There was this NPR host they would cut to, and he would play two different jazz songs simultaneously. Nice. Because he claimed that jazz plus jazz equals jazz. Well, that I don't know if this is related, but if I'm learning a new song, let's say, uh, I don't know, Stella by Starlight, I'll put a playlist on Spotify, 20 versions of the song. Just so I can see how different people approach it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, you know? No, this is on top yeah. of each other. Yeah, okay. Creating yeah. automatic jazzy dissonance okay. that may or may not work. <laughs> yeah, there was a there was a Coltrane album from, you know, that experimental period called Ascension where he basically put a bunch of musicians in the room and said, start playing. That's what this is. Yeah. So maybe if Coltrane did it, it is yeah. jazz. Uh-huh. Um, is your daughter, I mean, did she take right to drums? Did you be like, you need to play an instrument daughter, like how did that path come to yeah. her? Yeah, my wife and I, you know, we we said, you know, by the time she was 10, we would like to kind of just have her have something in her back pocket, you know, musically. So she, my daughter narrowed it down to piano and drums and ultimately chose drums. Um, and like drum kit drums, right? Yeah, drum kit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. So we, we got her lessons and she started sort of started with, uh, with rock. Um, and then we got her playing with um, the percussion instructor here at FGCU. And, um, and of course, she was playing with the jazz band at the Naples Phil. Uh, she's in her last year of that right now. Um, and it's been a blast. You know, they, they brought in uh, like just the people she's played with, like Chuck Finley, you know, the trumpet player who does that famous solo on... Um, on uh, cl- close to you by the Carpenters, mm-hmm. I have video of my daughter trading fours with him. Wow! And I was like, "That's that's epic." That's so. What's it feel like to watch daughter who's got some chops? You know? Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> my yeah. I, and it's funny because I apologize, Beatrice. Um, she doesn't practice really outside of um, you know the the rehearsals. But man, she just keeps getting better. And so my wife and I, the only time we will hear her. Um, is when she's doing her concerts and she'll take a solo or she'll be hitting things like we'll look at each other like I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know how she's developing this. But Does that mean that she didn't practice that much either when she was first getting started there by not annoying you that much? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. Um, I, I was I, – I was, 
you know, I, I try to make sure that she would, she was pretty diligent with her practice early on. We used to, I would make copies of um, like uh, there's like a funk a funk uh, music and cut out uh, each individual bar of music and then we would mix up the music in a bag and then I would take out four measures and she would sight read it. Hmm. And so that's a benefit. That's one thing that I don't do well is sight read music as a guitar player. In fact, there's a joke that uh, the current director of the Gulf Coast Big Band told me, if you want to have a guitar player turned down, put a sheet of music in front of them. <laughs> and that's true in my case. I'm not a good reader. Um, but she just can read music like it's no one's business. You know, it's really admirable. You're probably a good improviser, though, then. That's what I work on a right. lot. Yeah. Because a lot of times mm-hmm. people who are real good at reading music, somehow it turns off the improv- improvisational part of their brain, it seems like. Mm-hmm. That's at least what I've heard from people. Yeah. That might be the case. I'd like to be able to do both, but, I mean, if I'm going to – with the limited time that I have to, to work on stuff, um, it's going to be on trying to build my improv chops versus reading. Mm-hmm. Do you think she's going to continue to pursue this? Do you know if she's going to continue to pursue this? I, you know, she's talked recently about starting a sort of a punk band with some of her friends, which would be really cool. Um, but I'm not sure. You mm-hmm. know, we'll see wh- whichever direction she wants to go in. But she'll have it, you know. Do you and your wife's musical tastes align or disalign or what's the deal? E- definitely align. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, she she's into um, a lot of the the – early 90s grunge type stuff, Nirvana and things like that. And I can appreciate that music um, because it was part of, um, you know, I remember being in drafting class in high school and MTV was on and that's when you'd hear all those bands. Um, And so, you know, Pearl Jam and whatnot, I'd appreciate that stuff. Um, And then, you know, we we put on music and and playlists, beat, we're really into the Bee Gees recently. Uh, I'm really digging the Bee Gees. You know, it's a it's a great band. A lot of people think that they're just sort of the '70s disco, um, but man, they're like the, the disco of the of the um, the Ventures. No, no, I mean the Beach Boys. Oh yeah, oh, I see sakes. what you mean. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're not just uh, fluff. They're like the the disco version of the Beach yeah. Boys, or maybe just slightly light. But yeah. there's a lot of musicality there. Yeah, if you listen to the Bee Gees from the er, the early mid '60s. Up, and I love their disco stuff too. Up until the their late '70s stuff, and then once they get into the '80s, I'm not so fond of it. Um, but it's just the songwriting, the harmonies, all that, the creativity. Mm. Yeah. So it's a great band. Um, has your daughter brought home any music that you are like, huh? What are you listening to over there, kid? Uh, not. I, hmm. N- not necessarily. You know, I, I, I. I think she's listening to music in her car um, that I don't – I'm not sure what that right. music is. But I, I, there's nothing that I would ever mm. be opposed to her. I mean, some of the stuff I listened to uh, when I was younger yeah, than yes, her. Yeah, you're coming from – yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, before we get to your third song, um, concerts. Have you – are you a concert attender? Have I'm, you been to many? I haven't been to many concerts. Okay. Um, I don't particularly enjoy – concerts because my mind gets to work on like what would I be playing the musician in you takes you out of the moment absolutely Hmm. Um, I went to a guitar camp uh, in August of this past year and um, it was like if if you were an aspiring film director and Steven Spielberg was there and, and I don't know much about film but it would be the equivalent of that. So, mm. um, 
John Schofield was there, Mike Stern, Kurt Rosenwinkel, Isaiah Sharkey, um, Galad Hexelman, Julian Lodge. And of course, all throughout the day, they're going up on stage and playing stuff. And um, I'm, you know, I was able to interact with some of them and actually play with some of them um, poorly, but it's a great experience that I had. Um, so that kind of stuff I enjoy. You know, the Dan Miller tribute will be a concert, and I'm going to love watching all those players play. Um, but again, my mind's going to be working on what are mm. they doing and what would I play over that kind of stuff. Do you have the, a similar problem? This I don't know if this will align or not, but it does for me with um, theater. <clears throat> you know, like I can't not look at the production of what they're doing sometimes, especially if it's impressive in terms of lights and sounds and sets. And you know what I mean? It's like I, I, I see the mechanics of it being made and it takes me out of it mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah, I, de- I, I, I definitely have a hard time kind of just letting the music wash over me because I'm thinking like, what are they playing over this? And what are they playing over that? And um, listening to the tone, you know, not so much. I mean, this this uh, camp I went to, John Schofield was playing through a f- old Fender Twin that was basically on its last legs. And the audio engineer went up to fix it. He's like, no, don't worry about it. I'll just play through this. <laughs> Got a YouTube video or a video of that. Him, um, John Schofield and Mike Stern playing on stage for the first time probably in 20, 25 years. It was really cool to see. Hmm. But see, now now it's like I'm going to upload it private on YouTube Slow it down and learn some of those lines. Yeah, exactly. And you can do that easily now, <laughs> yep. uh, especially the slowing down thing. I mean, think back to when you were learning guitar and the, and the t- tools that are available now that must make it a lot easier mm-hmm. if, you, if, you, if you have the dedication to do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just pulling up tabs and being able to then transpose them into different keys so you could find a song you like and then you can move it till it's in chords you know and then, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it's neat. Mm-hmm. Okay, ready for your third song? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, talking about uh, Dan Miller, talking about me playing in the Gulf Coast Big Band, my daughter in the Naples Philharmonic Youth Jazz Orchestra, um, it all kind of came together when um, w- for the Big Band we needed a substitute drummer. So who's Dan Call? My daughter. So it was a great opportunity, kind of neat to um, to also have that for the audience. You know, we play... Um, during season every month at Cambria Park down in Naples on Sundays. Um, and to have a dad and a daughter in the rhythm section was kind of a cool experience. Um, and then also, you know, Dan was such a charismatic uh, band leader. Uh, w- my daughter and I, when we would listen to the tunes on our way to rehearsal, um, because that's what you do, you know, you're about to play these songs, get them into your head, it would come on and we'd say, bomp, bomp, bomp. Because that's what Dan would be doing to express how we needed to sound in the song, you know, during the rehearsal. And so when I hear this tune, and, and you know, you'll hear it in the song, um, that's what I hear is, you know, sort of my daughter and I singing that together, Dan singing that in front of the band to get us to play where he wanted us to play. And the other thing is, I think um, I was in the band for three years under Dan before he passed away. Um, and a lot of the songs, like I think I said this earlier, he would introduce even to the band during rehearsal with a story about the song. And so he would always say, does anyone know what this song is about or what it refers to? And we, of course, everyone's like, oh, I don't know. We're, we got the music in front of us. Let's just play it. And he'd say, well, um, Duke Ellington wrote this um, to represent Othello. 
you know, the character in the Othello, the Shakespeare play. So, um, so a lot of different, you know, Dan's storytelling, his charisma, playing with my daughter. The song brings back a lot of that. It's a recent memory, but it's one that's going to, like, be in me for a long time. Hmm. All right, let's listen to it then. Uh, Such Sweet Thunder, and then it's got Cleo in parentheses in the official title uh, by Duke Ellington. It's the title track from his 1957 album of the same name. This is Eric Otto's final song here on Three Song Stories. What's that make you feel to think about that song today and listening to it with us? Yeah, it's just, you know, um, rehearsing that song, Dan, you know, Dan would would probably cut it halfway through and say, okay, you need to adjust this as the horn player and whatnot. And my, so my daughter and I would sit there as the rhythm section. Dan, is, of course, was a trumpet player, and so he's focusing on the brass and all that and getting those melodies right. And so my daughter and I would just sort of sit there like... Yeah, okay. You know, for 15 minutes while he's correcting the phrasing of the of the saxophones or the trombones or whatever. Um but yeah, it's that bomb. Bomb, you know, it's uh I I can hear my daughter doing it and she still does it. Do you play with your daughter besides then? No. Um we on occasion there's some guys in the band who will want to do some kind of side gigs at their communities and things like that. And I'll ask her, I'll invite her if she wants to uh, play because they're always requesting her to play. She's got a great touch, you know, and a, a lot of drummers can be kind of heavy, kind of loud, and she's she's not too out front. She's doing what needs to happen. She's not too busy, so I think they respect that. Um, so on occasion, we'll gig together with some of those types of things. Um, and then, of course, I think uh, she'll continue to, to sub for the Gulf Coast Big Band um, for as long as she lives in Southwest Florida, you know, I hmm. look forward to it. Does she play in a, like a jazz band or something at school? Um, she did play, um, she played in the marching band, snare. Yeah. Okay. Um, but she didn't do the jazz band at school. Hmm. Um, okay. You ready for a speed round? Let's do a speed round. Okay. Eric Otto, mm-hmm. you have a nickname that stuck over the course of your life that you'd be willing to share with our listeners. E.E. E.E. Yep, that's what everyone in my family calls me, E.E. Um, Uncle E.E., my dad calls me E.E., he'll text me, hey, E.E. That's not an easy <laughs> thing to say. you got to really try to say E.E. This is going to sound, you know, it's E.E., yep. Oh, okay. Do you remember the last time you purchased music that had physical form, like a tape or CD or album? Yeah, I went on, this past summer, I went on a, a vinyl binge. So I, I bought a lot of vinyl from... Um, like uh, uh, what's it called the the record um, discogs. Um, oh yeah, the website. Yeah. So the last one I think that came in before I sort of stopped was a Bee Gees album, "Life in a Tin Can." Actually, that's a good one. Great answer. Mm-hmm. Do you do care? You don't do to karaoke. Do you? I did karaoke. <laughs> my let's see, my my brother, my older brother Joey, his engagement party was at a a bar in Bradenton Beach that had karaoke and my older sister and brothers coerced me into coming up and doing a tune and I think it was like a third eye blind song or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you don't sing with the IRB. I don't sing. They don't want me to sing with them. Mm-mm. I mean, they wouldn't want me to sing with them. Mm-hmm. Sure Do they, they know that for sure or that you've just never given them a choice? The, yeah, they no, they yeah, they know it for sure. Um, you know, it's just <laughs> like I you know, I don't play saxophone either, you know, so That's well put. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm going to I'm going to use that. <laughs> um, if you were a championship wrestler, what would your entry music be? 
uh, probably something by Ingve Malmsteen. It's that stuff sounds like you're fighting a dragon with an F-16. You know, it's like, <laughs> dun, 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 and then it's like, this. I'm so glad that was your answer. <laughs> uh, fighting oh, a dragon with an F-16. I, I swear, it's like, um, and then he rips off these super fast harmonic minor lines. I could see myself coming in with something like that. What would your wrestler name be? Hmm. I think it would have to contrast ironically with the music so i think it would just be like chris <laughs> <laughs> my middle name's christopher so why not coming in at 193 pounds chris <laughs> <laughs> yes you know i'm thinking that that might be an option for me mm-hmm. if a bartender were to make a drink that represented you what would it contain um i don't know anything about i don't drink so Oh, um, it doesn't have to be alcohol. Yeah, we, you know it would be it would be called water. Be called it water. would be water. Yep. Chris brand water. Yep, but you got to have that Amy Malmsteen in the background. If you had to guess, what would you say is the song you've listened to the most times? Mm. Probably "Red House" by Jimi Hendrix. Um, the the album version. And there's a there was a compilation album of blues tunes by Hendrix that came out in the '90s, I believe. And there's a I think it's a live version or a different cut. Such a good song. Like his playing on that is just the best blues playing you're ever going to hear from an electric guitar player. Isn't he like a lefty but plays a righty or some? There's something about the way Jimi Hendrix's handiness goes with his guitar. What yeah, is that? He just he just restrung a right-handed guitar. Okay, that's all it was. Okay, yeah. I was mm-hmm. thinking there was something more complicated mm-hmm. to that. If you could share a stage with anyone, living or dead, and play a set, who would it be? Oh, hmm. Ah, oh, it's like would it be. So if I if it was a blues player, then I'd feel really confident. I could feel like I could do my thing. If it's a jazz player, I would maybe not be as confident, but I would be really – it would challenge myself. And, you know, from the the entertainer incident at the at the um, coffee shop, I like to challenge myself, even if I fail. Um, so maybe someone like uh, Lester Young, you know, the, the, the saxophone – tenor player from way back in the day. Um, basically, the word cool comes from Lester Young. Oh. You know, like he was that, he was, you know, with the, the with the fedora hat, you know, like the the epitome of like what you think of as a jazz player. Just really nice, warm, legato lines. Um, I could play at least some rhythm guitar behind him. That would have been kind of cool. Um, what activities or pursuits make you lose track of time the most? Probably transcribing music. In fact, just last night, um, I was transcribing some lines from a Pat Martino solo. Um, he does an intro to the song Close to You on his album East, and it's just him playing, and I'm like, I want to learn that. So uh, I, I made some um, scallion pancakes last night for dinner, and you need to let the dough rest for an hour. So I made the dough, set it aside, put an hour on there, go in and do some transcription. I'm like, okay, I got to a point where I was pretty comfortable that I had got the line down. I came back out and there was only 14 minutes left on the clock of my resting dough. 
uh, and um, it felt like two seconds went by. What a great answer. Yeah, I don't know. You're good at this. <laughs> um, song you wish you could hear again for the first time? Mm. Probably Crossroads by Robert Johnson. I remember hearing that Delta Blue stuff for the first time, and I was like, I, I had no words for it, you know, because I came to that kind of music through, like, Eric Clapton, you know, the guitar player that you have to listen to if you're playing guitar. Um, talking about Robert Johnson was his inspiration. So, okay, I'm going to get some Robert Johnson. I listened to it, and I'm like, I don't hear Eric Clapton's guitar playing in this, you know, so I, I don't know that I appreciated it. I think if I listened to it for the first time now, it would mean something different. It just uh, no one's ever duplicated Jimi Hendrix or Robert Johnson as far as guitar playing goes. Um, any songs you'll avoid listening to? Um, I mean, there are certain bands that I I don't really care much for. Um, Such it, as? Uh, if a Van Halen, Van Halen comes on, I'll probably change. You know, really? Yeah, you know, I'm not... Just the sound of the, I don't know. I mean, I, I appreciate Eddie Van Halen, but just. Just the, in, in general, in just general, Van no, Halen. Yeah. I have the same thing with the Rolling Stones. Yeah, no, it's the Rolling Stones, same with me. Um, Miles Mancini, my wonderful colleague, um, will hate that I say this, but I'm not big on Billy Joel. You oh. know, it's not music that I appreciate, you know. I mean, I can appreciate it, but it's not anything that I'm going to um, sit down and listen to. Uh, there, there's a few others. I'm not too big on Leonard Skinner, the Eagles. You know, it's just. Um, no, no. Just, just the sound of the music. You know, it's not anything yeah. that I'm too crazy about. If you could broadcast a song into the head of everyone on the planet all at once, what song would you use? Mm. It would probably be one of those classic '70s instrumentals, like "Love's Theme" by the Love Unlimited Orchestra. Barry White. It was a Barry White song, um, or "It's So Good" or "Feels So Good" by. Chuck Mangione. It's just this cool, <laughs> cool do, stuff. Do. Yeah. I actually have a story about that, but we're probably running out of time. <laughs> uh, we can share those. I have a story about that, too. Sure. We can, Richard Me and too. I, all three of us have a story. Oh, nice. We'll share that afterwards. Um, um, do you have a best album of all time that you could identify, or is that an impossible question? That's always going to be an impossible question, but um, I love... Hendrix's last album with the experience, which was um, Axis Bold as Love. It just has some great songs and sounds on it. So, a very cool album. Have you come into any new music lately, whether it's necessarily new, but just new to you that you would want to highlight for people? Uh, Kurt Rosenwinkel, the guitar player. Um, I was introduced to Kurt Rosenwinkel by a colleague of mine when I got here in 2007. He, who was also a guitar player in, in the Bauer School. He's not here anymore. But um, So I went home, listened to Kurt Rosenwinkel. I'm like, nope, I'm not ready for that. That guy has notes on his guitar that I don't have on my guitar. Like I'm calling the guy who sold me my guitar saying, hey, what's up? You didn't put these notes on this guitar you sold me. Um, but I was able to meet Kurt at this um, this camp I went to and – it sort of demystified his playing, some of the workshops that he did at the camp. Um, so I've been listening to him a lot more recently. Chad's notes to your guitar? It, it's, um, it hasn't yet added those notes <laughs> to my guitar, but, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, go on YouTube, slow it down to 25%, and I think I'll be able to find those notes. Maybe give me a decade, but, you know, I'll get there. That's what it felt like the first time uh, hearing Always With You With Me. 
because I was in like high school and I had been playing guitar for like two years. So I was just enough to play like, you know, middle of the road rock songs. Mm -hmm. And my friend gave me a Satriani CD and I heard that and I was like, I have no idea what I'm even, how's he doing it? That's not, is that three guitars? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As you play more, different players seem like they're more attainable. Like right now I feel like um, Pat Martino is brilliant. I mean, just a brilliant guitar player, but I feel like some of those lines are attainable. His system of, of playing is like something that I feel I can get onto. Kurt Rosewinkle is starting to get there, but you know, like I said, I'm years away from even being 1% of, of who those players are, but it's a fun journey. Mm. All right. Ready to recommend? Wait. All right. Sorry, I've got my things out of order. All right. It's time for you to... Oh, see, I, I, I'm stuck in a time loop, Richard. <laughs> uh, we're still here. Okay. Um, this may end up in the podcast. Who knows? Um, so what would your 14-year-old self think of who you are today and what you do and, like, your vibe? My, yeah. Um, my 14-year-old self, who had never read a book, um, would say, wait a second. You, you had never pe- read a book at 14? I never read a book in high school. I never read a book. Until so you got your PhD. Until I got yeah, and then <laughs> then I had to write a book. So I'm like, oh, I better catch up. Um, my brother Joey, my older brother, bought me a, a biography of Jimi Hendrix for high school graduation. I think that was the first book that I ever read. Um, somehow I became an English major. So I think my 14 year old self would be like, something very interesting must have happened in your life um, to get you to be a department chair at a university, a, a, a professor of environmental. What does even what does that even mean? So, what does that mean? We started with humanites. What <laughs> is environmental humanities? Give us the you know the short version of that. Yeah, just you know, looking at um, from my perspective, literature, but you know, artwork, film, and whatnot through an environmental or, or I guess sort of ecological perspective. What does this story say about um, our relationship with nature, with the earth? Mm. Mm-hmm. All right. Now it is time for you to sh- uh, to recommend three people that you'll share this with. Yeah, absolutely. That we can try to get on the show. Mm-hmm. I'm losing my words. Oh, yeah. No, I've <laughs> lost so many words. Um, we have an advisor here at FGCU, Sherry Alvanis. Um, I think she has, uh, she has connections with some of the jazz. She and her husband have some, I think, some great stories um, being at Berkeley and Boston and some of those um, jazz players at the time. Um, I think she'd be a great uh, person. And plus, she's a creative writer. So just as a storyteller, she'd be wonderful to have on. Um, my colleague in the Department of Integrated Studies, Farshad Aminian, I think he'd be great to have on. Um, also, a brilliant person. Great storyteller, super smart, um, and I think he'd have a lot of interesting stories. Uh, and then my brother Casey, uh, he's like I said earlier, he's um, sort of my uh, my teammate when it comes to music and talking about jazz and stuff. So he plays in a couple bands up in Tampa. He plays in uh, Uncle John's band, which is a Grateful Dead cover band up in Tampa, and um, he plays in a an organ trio up there as well. Um, and I think that he would have some pretty good stories to tell about some of his experiences, both in music and personally. Awesome. We'll share this with them. We'll do our best. Do you have any final thoughts to leave us with? Oh, this was a lot of fun. You all make it so comfortable and it's a a good conversation to have. So thanks. Thank you. Mm -hmm. 
We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is host and online content producer. Our production assistant is Jared the Intern Gonzalez. Christophus is executive producer. And our theme song was made by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. This week's Parting Tune, we're going back a year to episode 222 guest, classical pianist and composer Fernando Lopez Flores. His second song was Tick, Tick, Tock by the band Carapicho. He said it's the first song he remembers from when he barely knew how to walk when he sort of danced to it nonstop. He called this song the soundtrack of Baby Him. But then, much later in life, when he looked into its lyrics, he realized it also totally aligned with the magical time he had spent in the Amazon rainforest. I was talking before about the community of Moxos, where I lived for one year. And this community is located in the Amazon rainforest, okay? In the the heart of of, of the jungle in Bolivia. And this song that you're going to hear now, that is Tic Tic Tac, has these lyrics that read something like this. Amazonas, river of my life, a very beautiful landscape that my God created. He created the sky, the forest, and the earth. He united the man and built love. And and so it talks about earth and glory and 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 men. He he just combines all these elements of 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 existence that I found very very interesting that. Such a joyful and just party piece has such a beautiful content also in their lyrics. Keep listening.